it, it is, yeah, it's, it's me again for tonight, and uh, my name's Dave, for those of you who don't know, and I'm excited to be here. It's, it's a blessing. It's such an opportunity um, that God has allowed me to do this, and so uh, I just want to praise Him for that. So let's pray, and then we'll get right to it, because uh, uh, there's a lot of information that we need to cover, so we'll try to do that tonight. But uh, Lord, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy. Um, you've withheld from us uh, tonight, Lord, the things that we deserve, and uh, you've given us what we don't deserve, and so we're so grateful for that. We thank you most of all tonight for Jesus Christ, whom to know right is life eternal. We thank you for the, the life that he lived. We thank you for the death that he died, and we thank you, God, that the grave was unable to hold him, uh, that he rose again from the grave, conquering, defeating uh, death. And as a result of that, we have that opportunity tonight, too. So as we look to your word, we thank you for the preciousness of it. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help me to stay far enough out of the way that uh, uh, somebody here might get something from your word, um, because that's the thing that really matters. And so we give you the, the glory for this evening, and we just thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, tonight, uh, I'm hoping, I don't like to waste anybody's time, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I'm not getting any younger. And... Uh, uh, so I don't want to waste your time, and I don't know how you came in this evening, but I guess when I come to God's Word, um, I learned a long time ago that I don't want to leave the same way that I came. And what I mean by that is it's okay to be convicted, and it's okay to look at my life and look at the guy in the mirror. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily preaching to you. You have to decide if this is what you want to do. But I like to look in the mirror and I say, you know what, Dave? There's some areas in your life that maybe you need to work on. There's some things that you can do that would help you to be more useful for God. So tonight, if you looked at your paper, it's called Adding Up to Be Useful. And it's in 2 Peter. So if you find your place in 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll go through these verses and I hope that it becomes an encouragement to you. Peter, let me just say this. In 2 Peter, what you find is that Peter is writing to false teachers or writing about false teachers that are coming into the church. And that was a concern for him. But when in 2 Peter chapter 1, before he gets to that, there's a gem there that have you ever either known someone in their Christian life or maybe you've lived your Christian life this way it's like a roller coaster you know everything's going good and it's like oh praise the Lord God's there and everything's great well then the next day the bottom falls out and it's where's God at I don't understand you know this Christian thing isn't it supposed to be simple and easy well it isn't supposed to be simple and easy because we're strangers and aliens if we're Christians in this world that we live in but there's a gem here in 2 Peter chapter 1 that whether you've been a Christian for 10 minutes or whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or whatever the case may be, you can add qualities and characteristics to your life. In fact, we're told to add those things to our life. And if you do that, you'll become more useful to God. My guess is most people that come to church here on Wednesday night, you want to be useful for God. And it's not just something that you're checking off the list. If you're watching uh, through the internet or however you do that, however you, however you watch, whatever they call that stuff, I'm not good at that electronic stuff, I'm glad that you're here, and uh, I appreciate it. Mike isn't with us tonight, so that's why I look shorter than him, okay? Uh, uh, but we're just going to go. You, you, you have me tonight, so we'll go with what you got, all right? So let's read 2 Peter chapter 1. Our verses are going to be verses 5 through 8, but I want to start in verse 1. All right, so verse 1, 
says this. It says, Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying in all diligence, add to your faith moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Then it goes on to say, our last verse is this, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I'd like to start for a minute. I wasn't sure how I was going to start. So, why don't I do this? Uh, verses, you know, we could have looked at verses 1 through 4 tonight and done a lesson on that. So, I don't want to pass those over because what those verses are is the gospel, Okay, and there's some amazing things in those first four verses that you see. First of all, this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news, okay? And this is what the good news is. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to be the substitute for my sin, and he rose again from the dead so that anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord has a substitute for theirs too. That's the message that's the message that you and I, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, there's nothing more important to you than that message. Not your husband, not your wife, not your kids. In fact, you know what that message is? That's what you want your husband to grasp. That's what you want your wife to grasp. That's what you want your kids to grasp. That's what you want your grandkids to grasp. The message that Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on a cross to be the substitute for your sin. Now, if you're not here... Or if, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in the Lord, you know what? You need to become one. Because, you know, kind of like, uh, I think it was uh, Pastor Todd one time was sharing, one time I heard him talking about John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. That's a, you know, that's a great story. Most of you have probably heard of that before. When we meet Jesus Christ as a Christian, this is what happened. We come to him with a pack of sin on our back, and we can't do anything about it. There's, there's no way, you know, we, we can be as nice as we can be. But we can't deal with that sin, that sin. But see, God, who was rich in mercy and rich in grace, all right, God died through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, he was born, okay, in a manger. He lived a life where he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He died on a cross in your place, and then he rose again from the dead. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be saved from our sin. Hallelujah. Okay, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you love that message more than anything else and it never gets boring. Never gets boring. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you say, well, you know what, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. You know, what's, what's, you know I'm, I'm wondering what snack I'm going to eat before I go to bed tonight. So what I would challenge you to do tonight is to look, you know, these verses I'm getting on a rabbit trail already, so let me go here. Here's what I want you to see. Simon Peter, in the beginning of this, this is what he says. If you're a Christian tonight, this is amazing stuff. You've received, you've received the same kind of faith that he had. 
the apostles, the exact same kind of faith. It's, it goes on to say this, God's given you everything that you need to live a godly life. Everything that you need when you become a Christian. You don't need a second blessing. There's no such thing as a, you know, second baptism of the Spirit. None of that stuff. God gives you everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness when you become a Christian, if you, if you become a Christian for real. And, and in fact, it goes on to say this, you having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Okay? That's what being a Christian is. Instead of being controlled by your lust and being, and, you know, uh, Mike just sang, you know, when death was arrested and my life began. Instead of being held captive to your sin, through Jesus Christ, you're free from that. That's amazing. That's an amazing thing. So, I hope tonight you're here and you're a believer. If you're not, I think I said this another week before, uh, we're not here to beat you up. If you're not, you're, you know, look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm not a Christian, but I sure need to be one. I sure need to be one. And fall in the grace and the mercy of the Lord. But after that, when we get to verse 5, it talks about, you know what, let me, yeah, I just thought of something. Does anybody have, I don't know if you have grandkids or not. Grandkids are neat. They say, it, you know, my grandson Jude, he's a cute little bugger. Okay, now I might be a little bit partial. You probably think your grandson's cuter. But I, I like him. He's a pretty cool guy. And Jude said, to, you know, one day Terry, she made, a, she made him a, a turkey and cheese sandwich. And, he, and she cut it up so he could eat it real good. And he went to take a bite of that. I said, whoa, Jude. I said, you can't eat that like that. And he said, uh, well, why not? I said, you need one of them pickles on there. You know, one of them little round pickles. And I put one of them pickles on that sandwich, and he started to eat it, and I turned my back to walk away, and I heard him say this, that's the bestest thing I ever ate. <laughs> and you know, that made me think of a verse in the Bible. The Bible says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's a refuge to those who put their trust in him. So tonight, what I want you to do is this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, or if you're watching and you're not a Christian, you're just checking us out, taste and see that the Lord is good. You taste and see that he's good because he'll never let you down. He'll never fail you. You'll say, this is the bestest thing I ever ate. Okay? Um, with that being said, let's move in so we don't run out of time, okay? Uh, verse 5 says this. Verse 5, if you look, it says, Now, for this very reason, apply with all diligence in your faith. So diligence, if you look on your paper, what I thought I'd do is just get down through these verses and maybe make a couple comments and, and we'll be on our way. But on your paper it says this, the Christian life takes dedication and maximum effort. Okay, The Christian life takes dedication and maximum effort. You know, sometimes I think people are, are confused. They think, well, I just say a prayer and that'll get me out of hell and I'm good. I'll just do whatever I want. Well, that's not the Christian life that the Bible talks about. The Christian life that the Bible talks about is a life where we're submitting ourselves. We're exchanging. We're making an exchange. We exchange our unholiness for God's holiness. We exchange our unrighteousness for His righteousness. Well, it takes effort uh, to be a Christian. And diligence, the idea of diligence, Paul said in Philippians 2.12, he said this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, to the Christian, what Peter says is this, God's giving you everything that you need to live a godly life. Now, what we're going to look at through verse 5 through 8, he says, because of that, this is what you got to do. 
This is what you've got to do. So as we go through these verses tonight, you can examine yourself, and I can examine myself, and I can say, you know what, I'm doing okay in this one, but I'm not doing so good in this area. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to add that to my faith so that I can be more usable to God. Isn't that good? Isn't that what you want to do? If you're a Christian tonight, don't you want to be usable? Um, anyhow, let's go on. But I wrote this down on my paper, five words. I remember clearly. It won't mean much to you, but when I gave my life to the Lord, I was sitting in the front seat. Of a beat-up old gremlin that was jacked up in the back. And uh, I was sitting in the front seat of that gremlin. And... Uh, out behind a car dealership. And I asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And I remember after I did that, this is what I said. What do I do now? What do I do now? And you know what these verses are? These verses are the what do you do now verses. They're the what do you do now verses. Um, and so, anyhow, I hope that encourages you. But... Uh, in verse 5, it goes on to say this. It says, to add with all diligence to your faith. You know, when you first become a Christian, you maybe don't know very much. I knew nothing. This is what I knew. I knew I was a sinner, and the way I was living was like hell, and I knew that I needed to be saved from my sin, and there was nothing I could do to save myself. And when I wrestled with it, you know what? I didn't want God in my life. I wanted to do it my way. I wanted to be the God of my life. And I was. But after I wrestled with him for a while, and I realized how much I needed him in my life, all right, once I submitted my life to him, I wanted to follow him. That's what Christians want to do. They want to follow him. And, and you know what we do? You know, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, we share some things in common. You know what we do? We fall. We stumble. But we get back up. I remember a guy one time told me this. Uh, um, it's just coming to my mind. But he said, you know what a Christian is? He's either up or getting up. I like that. I like that. If you're here tonight and you're a real Christian, you're either up serving him or you're getting back up because you've, you know, you failed, but you're getting back up. You're not going to stay down. Now, I don't want to be a motivational speaker, okay? And you don't need no motivation. There's a lot of motivational speakers. We want to be biblical speakers, all right? But these verses address, um, address well what we can do in our life. So the first thing it says to do is to add moral excellence. Add moral excellence. Well, that means this. I have it on your paper. This is living rightly in a sinful world. This needs to become a lifestyle, not just a moment. Not just a moment. You know, uh, someone once said this, the conversion of a soul, I wrote it on my paper because I forget, the, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. I like that. You know, you get saved in a moment. You get saved in a moment. And you know what you do? You say, well, what do I do now? But see, the person that's really saved, they become a follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of Jesus Christ. He, we, we take God's word and we live it out. We live those principles out. Um, at least that's what we try to do, right? Well, let's go on in our moral excellence. Uh, Titus 2, 7 and 8 says this, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So, I ask you, and we can ask this on each one of these, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at that? 
they, I have to ask myself, okay? You ask yourself, how am I doing? Am I, you know, am I someone that's trying to be pure in doctrine, dignified, sound in my speech, which is beyond reproach? You know, when I was reading that verse, you know, I thought of in the Old Testament was Daniel. If you have grandchildren, you know, you tell them the story about Daniel. And, you know, we take the town, we say, you know, Daniel, he prayed. And, and you know, he was a prayer, and they, they, they made a rule that you weren't allowed to pray. So you know what they did? Daniel said, you know what? i got to obey God. I obey God, not man. I'm going to pray anyway. So what they did, they came and they took Daniel. They said, we're throwing you in the lion's den. And the grandkids look at you when you talk about how they threw them down in the lion's den. And you know what? And then you say, but you know what? Our God is great. Our God is strong. And he shut the mouths of the lions. That's what we tell them, right? But there's a verse in Daniel that's pretty neat. Before they made the rule, before they made the rule, about Daniel not being able to pray. This is what they said about him in Daniel chapter 6. He was faithful with no error or fault found in him. He was faithful with no error or fault found in him. So, I ask myself, I say, hey Dave, the way you live your life, are you faithful with no error or fault found in you? Now, I've been in the work, I, I was in the workforce for a long time. I suppose some people in here are still in the workforce. And you know what? It's not always easy. It's not supposed to be. It's not easy to be a Christian in the workforce. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. They might think you're a nut job. You're the Bible guy. That guy's always talking about this, that, or the other. But you know what? We've got to be more concerned about what God thinks of us and more in love with the Jesus that saved us than the people that are around us. Because you know what? If they're lost, if they're lost, they need us. They need us. You know what? I, I Well, never mind. I won't go there. But 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. I have that on your paper. And the reason I have that in bold is, this is a little bit selfish, but that's kind of been like my life verse. I'm kind of a simple guy, and I'm not the sharpest tack in the drawer. And... Uh, uh, but this is what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. It says, No matter what you say or do, eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. No matter what you say or what you do, no matter what you eat or you drink, you do it all for the glory of God. Now, what I like about that verse is this. It reminds me that even in the menial things of life, you know, we could, go, we could take that verse and we could go through each one of them, right? In Ephesians, it talks about what you say doesn't it? It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's profitable for the hearer. You know, we could go to James, and we could look at James chapter 3 and talk about, you know, the tongue and, and how, you know, how terrible it is and all that stuff. But I think you guys know that already. I think you know it. Peter is saying, you know what? The first thing that you need to do if you're calling yourself a Christian is start living right in a sinful world. You need to make changes. You, need to be, you, you can't be the same person that you were before you were a Christian. In fact, the Bible would say it this way, that old things pass away and all things become new. You're a new creation in Christ. So you don't live the same way. You, know, you can't do that on your own. You can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I thought about talking about this, but, but we don't have time. But, but you know, the Bible says this in Ephesians. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know why? If you see somebody that's drunk, you know what they do? They walk different. They talk different. They act different. And you know what they do? They, they act stupid, and they talk stupid, and, and all that type of stuff. But you know what? Someone that's filled with the Spirit that's a Christian, they walk different, and they talk different, and they act different. 
We're supposed to be different from the world because we're not of it. We're just in it for right now. For right now, we're looking for a better time, aren't we? But anyway, um, so that's moral excellence, all right? That's what I have now for moral excellence. Um, no matter what you say or you do or you eat or drink, do it all for God's glory. Live your life with Him in mind, and that'll be a good guide for you, all right? Um, the next one, in verse 5, it says this. To your moral excellence, it says, add knowledge. Now, knowledge is a neat thing. I, I, I um, had to have Lori fix this for me because here I am talking about knowledge, and I put down the wrong verse. I'm thinking, that's not going to go over too good, is it? But uh, this means learning and applying God's Word. This requires study if we're to be approved. Here's a verse you guys all know, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, we need to read God's word. We need to study God's word. And then more important than that, we need to live God's word out in our life. It's not just that, you know, it's not about head knowledge. I mean, there's people that have lots of head knowledge. Someone said one time, there's a lot of people that are 18 inches away from salvation. They got all kinds of head knowledge, but it's not in their heart. See, if you love God, you want to study His Word so that you can honor Him more in your life. And that's what these verses are about in 2 Peter chapter 1. How I can add these to my life to be useful for God. That's amazing. That's amazing that we can be useful to Him. Alright? Um, Proverbs 35. I love Proverbs 35. It says, Every word of God is pure, and He's a shield to those who put our trust in Him. Every word of God. Aren't you glad about that? We live in a world where people lie about everything. They try to sell you a bill of goods about everything. But you know what? We don't have to worry about that with God. His word is pure and his word's true. I like that. I like that. I want to, read, I want to take a second here and just read some verses to you guys if I could. I was thinking of these on the way over here. But in Psalms 19, I love these verses in Psalms 19. Look at what this says, or listen to what this says. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable. Let, now, stick with me here. Listen to this. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. They're sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warmed and warmed. In keeping them, there is great reward. You know what you want tonight? This is what you want. I think so. You know, I, I think this is what you want. You want to have great reward. You want to have something that's sweeter than the honeycomb. Better than gold. Better than gold. You know what? The Bible is that book. It's that book. The Bible says, you know, God's word says that he's exalted his word even as his name. In the book of Philippians, it says, One day every knee is going to bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you get to do that because you love Him. If you're not a Christian, you get to be forced to do that before you're cast into darkness. That's no good. We don't want to live there. But you know, these verses, when you start in verse 7 here, it says, You know what? God's word is perfect, it restores your soul. God's word makes wise the simple. I relate to that one. Okay, God's word, God's word rejoices your heart. It gives you joy. What an amazing book we have. You know, the, the Bible that you have, the Bible that you're holding in your hand, it has 66 books. It's written by over 40 different authors on three different continents, in three different languages. 
Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic over the period of 1,500 years. And from the book of Genesis, the first one, to the book of the Revelation, and the very last one, you know what? It has one main theme, the redemption of mankind through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a book about Jesus and Him wanting to save you from your sin. That's what it is. That's amazing. That's amazing. But you know what we do? And you know what? I've done this. You know what we do? We trade the beauty of God's Word sometimes for the things of this world. Boy, we don't want to do that. The Bible says to look not at the things that are seen. The things that are seen are temporary. But to look at the things that are unseen because those things are eternal. They're eternal. Um, I better go on and we'll never get done, huh? Okay. Um, in verse 6, that gets us through verse 5, all right? In verse 6, it says this, to add to your knowledge, self-control. Self-control. Now, I love what this says. Uh, oops, sorry. Sorry about that. I love what this says about, on your paper, about a definition for self-control. It says, holding oneself in. Holding oneself in. Have you ever had to do that? You know, have you, ever, have you ever been facing something and you're thinking, I'm just going to blow, but i got to have self-control. i got to have self-control. Maybe before I was a Christian, maybe before I was a Christian, you know what? I would have blown. You know what? I, and, and I'd like to do that right now, but I'm a Christian now. You know what Christians do? Christians that are useful to God, they add self-control to their life. They add self-control to their life. That's what Peter says. And look at what this says. It says, in Peter's day, it was used of an athlete being self-disciplined in mind, in mind. You know, an athlete that's good, you know, you can have all kinds of, you know, some people are just more talented than others, I suppose, and they've been gifted in that area. Uh, but, but a good athlete is someone that has to be self-disciplined in their mind. You know, I mean, if you get up, I, I suppose they don't, you know, the best... If you're going to be an Olympic athlete, I suppose you don't get up every morning and eat 15 ho-hos and then, you know what I mean, and then after lunch eat a bunch of Twinkies, okay? I mean, there's probably some self-control that you have to use in your diet, in your training habits, whatever, all right, to get you into the position that you can be the person that you want to be on the athletic field. Well, you know what? There's something more important than athletics here. We're serving the risen Savior. And what we're doing isn't to win a, well, we'll look at that later, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But what we're doing isn't just getting a medal that vanishes away. It's life and death. This is a life and death situation that we're in. Well, add self-control. It says this, in Peter's day, it was used of athletes being self-disciplined in their mind. 2 Peter 1.7 says it this way, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Okay, God wants us to have power, love, and self-control. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, it says this, Everyone who competes in games goes into strict training. Now listen to this verse. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. That will last forever. I have a daughter. Her name's Lydia. Um, she had five older brothers. I wish Lydia was here right now. You'd like her. Um, uh, the reason I think you'd like her is because she reminds me a little bit of a Lydia in the Bible, in the book of Acts. She's a worshiper of God. That's what I like best about her. That's what I like best about her. But she's not very big. She's like my wife. In fact, she reminds me of my wife. And uh, 
She's like my wife and for, you know, right now she's juggling two kids and you women understand what that's like even more than us men, but, but she's juggling two kids, but she used to run some marathons. And I can remember back when she was doing that. You know, I'd call her on the phone or we'd be talking on the phone and I'd say, what are you doing today, hon? And she'd say, well, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for this marathon. I'm gonna run like 13 miles today. And I'd be like, is your car broke or something? You know, I mean, I, yeah, that, that, that's not, you know, that's not registering with me. You know, do you need a ride? Get the neighbor take you somewhere or whatever. But you know, she had to be self-disciplined. But you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. If all you have, at the end of the day, if all you do is win a marathon, you just have a wreath that doesn't last forever. A wreath that doesn't last forever. But, but, if you have a greater cause, that you're living for, you can have eternal value for what you do. Um, I'm, I'm, well, I guess I got time. I'll just talk fast. I was thinking about it. I just now thought of you know Matthew when it talks about it's talking about money in Matthew chapter six, and he says he says don't fezzerizzo the word there don't don't treasure up treasures here on earth and think you're going to be okay because you got all these treasures because you know what. Uh, rust and moth, dis, or, you know, rust and moth uh, corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. He says, "But treasure up for yourself treasures in heaven, where there is no rust and moth, and where thieves don't break through and steal. That's better." He goes on to say, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." So, you know, it's okay to run if you want to run, but you know what? While you're running, maybe memorize a Bible verse on the way, okay? Because that's more important than your physical. Okay, does that make sense? Say self-control uh, is something that we need to add. So we need to move on. Verse 6 says this. It says, and in your self-control, add perseverance. Okay? My definition of, of perseverance is this. Self-control on steroids. Self-control on steroids. Uh, this is endurance. It says, I'll die before I give in to sin. Okay? It says, it's enduring with hope. It's enduring with hope. All right, here's how I look at perseverance. It's like self-control. You know, you're holding yourself in and you're thinking, oh, geez, I'm going to blow. And you say, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I don't have to blow. I don't have to blow. God's given me the Holy Spirit. He's given me my, his word that I can rest on. Instead of doing what everybody else in the world does, I can submit my will and my life and myself and my situation to him, and I can choose to do it his way. I can choose to do it his way even if it hurts. That's perseverance. Perseverance is, is it's, uh, hating Satan so much that you don't sin so as to give him the satisfaction. See, we don't want to, you know, you know, we want to love God first and love God best in our life. Okay? Um, perseverance is, perseverance is uh, Romans 6.19, I wrote this verse on your paper. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Jesus Christ is the anchor that holds you. He's the anchor for your soul. It doesn't get any better than him. It doesn't get any better. So, you know what happens? What happens when you're in these tough situations, you and I? We have the ability to hang on to him knowing that we can be firm and secure in our salvation. How about this one? Uh, let me think. Romans 8.18 says this, For the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Think about that. The sufferings of this present day that you and I go through, they're not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us someday in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's pretty cool, huh? That's pretty cool. 
You say, well, I'm working at a dead-end job, or you don't understand, my knee hurts, or whatever. You know what? It's getting better. How about 1 Corinthians? It says, uh, it, it says this there. It says, I, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those that love him. What an amazing thing. There's a good reason to persevere. Persevere. Because we, we, you know, this is the training ground. It's the proving ground for going to be with him someday. That's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, Terry and I, sometimes we go to, I'm just throwing this in. This is free. It won't charge you for this. Uh, sometimes on Sunday school, we go to. We've been going to Mark Brennan's class, and he he's a he's a good teacher, and 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 he likes to bring up every now and again. He talks about when you're saved, you're saved from the penalty of your sin, you're saved from the power of your sin, and someday you'll be saved for the presence of your sin. And you know what? I agree with that, and that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. So I was thinking about that in light of perseverance, and I thought, you know what? Isn't that neat? when you think of perseverance. You know what? We're living right now. We don't have to give in to sin and be under its power. We don't have to. We can rest in the righteousness of God and we can trust that He isn't going to allow us to be pushed beyond what we're able, but He'll make a way for us to escape. We can trust in Him and get through whatever situation we're in. We can persevere through that. Knowing that God, you know what? If you're not a Christian, you know what you got? You got sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, God says, I'll give you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's better. That's much better. And if that's not enough motivation, we are going to be saved from the presence of sin someday in heaven. That ought to motivate you. You know what? I don't know all of you very well, but I know this. When you get to heaven, you'll be better than you are right now. Because you won't have the sin problem that you fight against now. And neither will I. Well, we need to move. We need to move. My wife, she's my helper, and she's giving me the eyeballs. Okay, that, that, that means you're not getting through your paper very far. So I appreciate that, hon. Okay, so in our perseverance, when we get into the bottom of verse 6, it says this, you need to add godliness to your life, all right? That's translated from the Greek word for piety, and it means the quality of being reverent. There's a word we don't hear about much anymore, reverence, okay? What well, said, Peter describes godliness as a trait that Christians should possess. You know, he's not saying, you know, oh, it might be nice to add this. He's saying you ought to have this in your life. You need to add godliness to your life if you want to be useful for God. Well, um, 1 Timothy 4.8, sticking with the physical thing, since that's what Peter was doing earlier in self-control, it says this, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value in all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, uh, I wrote this on, our pa on my paper, and I'll read it to you so I don't mess it up. Being godly means to live loyally, obediently, and reverently. Okay, did you get that? Being godly means to live loyally, obediently, and reverently. So let me ask you a question. How you doing? How you doing at that? And you know what? Listen, I'm not just, you know, don't, don't be mad like I'm pointing the finger at you. I'm, I'm asking myself the same thing. How you doing at that, Dave? How you doing at that? I got another question that's coming up that's, that's harder in a second. Okay, but let me tell you this story first. Alan Redpath. 
he was a preacher. He's he's been dead for quite a while now, and I'm, he wasn't born in America, but he came here and was went to Moody, uh, was a preacher at Moody for a while uh, back in the day. But uh, he had preached all over the world, and some uh, a young man picked him up one time at the airport, and this young man was all excited, and he, because he was going to get to pick Alan Redpath up and drive him somewhere, so he said to him, "All oh, all the things you've done," he said, "What's the greatest thing that you've ever done? What's your your going to be your best memory? Yeah, you know, if if you could tell me something." And Alan Redpath said, you know, son, he said, at the end of my life, if I had integrity and I've gained the love and respect of the people that are closest to me and my family and I've honored God, that's good enough for me. I like that. I like that. See, we come to church and we can fool each other. You know, we, we, we can, you know, dress up and fool each other. But you know what? We can't fool God. So that led me to write this question down. I read, I read that quote, and I'm thinking, okay, I wrote this down. Here's one for you. What would your kids say about your lifestyle? What would your kids say about your lifestyle? Would they say you live loyally, obediently, and reverently to God? I hope they would. I hope they would. If they wouldn't say that, let's just start doing that tonight when we get out of here. That'd be a good thing. Well, anyhow, let's go on. In verse 7, it says this, add brotherly kindness. This means to be devoted to other Christians. This is in verse 7. This brotherly love for one another is how the world recognizes who we are. You know, John 13, 35 is a really neat verse. It's kind of simple, but it says this, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one for another. You know what? We spend all kinds of time, and this is a good thing, trying to teach people how to evangelize. And people are, you know, I'm not sure if I know what to say, and I don't know. You know what? This verse says that the world will know you're a Christian if you love your other brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, there's a good place to start. There's a good place to start right there. Maybe if we just love each other, the world might start to see that we have something that it needs. That's kind of a neat thing, isn't it? Are you thankful tonight for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm sure you are. If you're a Christian, we could go on. You'd, you'd all tell me stories. You know, in, in 1 John it says this, this is a message that we heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we'll have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin. It goes on to say, if we say we've not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the famous verse, verse 9, says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we've not sinned, we deceive ourselves and his word, or we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, guess what? God's not a liar. God's not a liar. And he says, if we walk in the light, like Jesus is in the light, you and I can have fellowship one with another. That's a good thing. Have you ever gone somewhere? You ever gone somewhere on a vacation and you meet some guy, you, you know, you two maybe wouldn't even share anything in common at all. You know, you may, maybe you wouldn't even like that guy too much. He dresses funnier than you do or whatever the case may be. But you know what? When you find out he's a Christian, there's a bond there. There's a bond there because of who Jesus is. See, uh, that's just an amazing thing, isn't it? 
So we need to add to our lives brotherly kindness. The next one says add love. Uh, in verse 7 it says add love to your brotherly kindness. Uh, there's a young man in this church when my wife and I started to come. I'm gonna just, I'll just mention his name because he was a blessing in my life and I pray for him. Uh, I try to pray for him each day, but his name's Gray. And uh, I thought he was older than what he was. He was a senior in high school. We first started coming here. And he would come over and he would shake my hand and he'd say, How you doing today, friend? And I said, Good. Well, one time I was out and I was uh, trying to encourage him after I got to know him a little bit uh, in the Lord, uh, just with his walk with the Lord. And he said to me, uh, uh, I shared some verses with him and stuff, and he thanked me for that. And he came over and he gave me this little piece of paper. And it had some verses written on it. I took that home. And I stuck it on my workbench. Now, I don't know Tim very well yet here at this church, but I thought, you know what? If Tim is telling Gray that these are good verses, then you know what? That's a good thing. Well, the verses that he had on there were 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And this is what it says. This is what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not act jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecoming. It, seeks its, it, it does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. Now, you know, you say, well, I've heard all those verses. I thought those were wedding verses. Well, you know, they're probably good to be at a wedding. That's okay. You know, I'm, I suppose if you're going to have a marriage that, that is strong, you know, I mean, these are good verses for that. But you know what? These aren't just wedding verses. These are verses that you and I are supposed to apply to our life and add to our life right now. When? When you go to work. When you go shopping. When you're raising your children. When you're, you know, when you're treating, you know, how you do treat your husband and your wife, your spouse. Okay, you know, so you can ask yourself, you can look at this paper when you can know me, you say, how am I doing? Am I patient? Am I jealous? Do I brag? Am I arrogant? You know, do I act unbecomingly? Do I seek my own? Am I easily provoked? Fly off the handle all the time? You know, do I take into account wrong suffer and won't let people off the hook? You know, do I rejoice in unrighteousness? So, you know, the list is there. The list is there for you, and it's there for me. So it's something that we can work on in our life so that we can be more useful to God. Okay, Romans 13, 8 says this, Owe nothing to anyone except for love, uh, except to love one another, for the, love, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? You know, God wants you to be in debt. Did you know that? You know the debt he wants you to have? He wants you to be in debt to love one another. That's the debt he wants you to have. And that's the debt he wants me to have. And so that's a challenge to us. Uh, in Romans 5.8, we have a great example of this. In Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrated his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a picture of love. How about this? How about this picture of love? He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Your sin and my sin, you know, heaven forbid, Jesus wasn't a sinner, okay? Uh, you know, but your sin and my sin was imputed to Jesus Christ, and he got treated as if, it, you know, as if it, he was the sinner. You know, when Jesus Christ came to this earth to be born in a manger, you realize what he did? He set aside, you know, he probably set aside a lot of things, but he set aside his honor, his authority, his riches, his intimacy with the Father, and his glory. He set all those things aside so that he could come and die on the cross for you and for me. So, that's why we say in 1 John, this is love. 
Not that we love God, but that he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sin. That's why we say it. When my kids were young, growing up, you know what? When my kids are old, this is what I tell them. This is love. Not that you love God. You'd be stupid to not love God. Look at what he's done for you. Look at what he's done for you. He gave his life for you. But you know what's really amazing is that he loves you. That he loves you. Let that motivate you to serve him. And I need to do the same thing. I'd never tell them anything that I don't need myself. Because I love them. Because I love them. And I'm, I imagine you love your kids too. Um, verse 8 says this. The total of these seven qualities. If we are adding these qualities to our life, we won't be useless or unfruitful for God. Now, I suppose if tonight when you were coming in the door, I met you over at the door and I shook your hand and said, Hey, thanks for coming in tonight. How would you like to be useless? You'd you know, I, I can just imagine what you'd be thinking. One person might think, well, you know what, did you hear what that guy said to me? That's rude. He shouldn't talk to me like that. That's a rude thing for him to say. And somebody else might say, well, you know what? No, I don't want to be useless. I want to be useful. Well, you know what? I'm going to guess most of us want to be useful for God. And these qualities that we add to our life is how we can be useful to God. Without them, you'll be if you're a Christian at all, without them, your Christian life will be up and down and up and down. With them, your Christian life can be more stable. Now, look at this verse in 2 Timothy 2.21. See if this isn't a good job application for you. If anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. How would you like to be that? How would you like to be that? Do you want to be, you know, do you want to be a special instrument that's set apart, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work? That's pretty amazing. That's God saying, not only will I save you from your sin, but I'll use you. I'll use you. That's amazing. It's amazing. John 15, 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. Okay? So you can ask yourself, am I producing fruit in my life? You are producing fruit. But is it good fruit? Is it fruit that shows that you're a believer in Christ and one that loves the Lord? If not, then repent of your sin and turn to Him. But each one of us here, I suppose, when I look at that list, you know when I use this list in my life? All the time. I really do. Not because I'm, <laughs> it's because I need to help, I guess, okay? But I know this, anytime I ever face a problem and I do something wrong, I can look in the mirror and I can say this, you know what, Dave? You didn't exhibit self-control there. Dave, you weren't morally excellent there. Dave, you weren't godly. You didn't have perseverance. So here's what we do. Here's how we leave. We leave tonight saying this, you know what, I'm going to work as hard as I can to add to my life moral excellence, knowledge from God's Word, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And if those qualities are yours, you'll be useful for God. Um, my time is up, but if I can have one more minute, I just want to share this with you. I really think in these last days, it's time for us to step up as Christians. 
You know, there's no greater joy, there's no greater joy than to see your children walk in the truth. If your children aren't working, walking in the truth, we need to pray for them. You know what, I got 14 grandkids. Hard to believe, okay, that it's true. I got 14 grandkids. And you know what my mission is? I don't want one of them to go to hell. I want them all to repent of their sin, to love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to serve him. That's my job. That's my mission. I heard something this week that convicted me. That's why I'm sharing this with you. But it said this. When God tells you to go, he is not just sending you somewhere. He's taking you somewhere. You know, when the Bible says to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a little later on it says, Lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the earth. See, God's not sending you out there on, the, on your own. He's not sending you to work and saying, Hey, you be a Christian. It'll be hard, but tough luck. He's saying, You go out there and be a Christian, and I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for your mercy and your love. I thank you for the qualities. I thank you for your word that's so practical. It's so practical. It gives us things that we can do and add to our life. I thank you for this lesson because it's helped me to see areas in my own life that I need to work on. I just pray, Lord, tonight that we would honor you with our life and uh, be just grateful. Help us to fulfill your will by having grateful, thankful hearts. And we just give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. But, uh, Thank you. Don't, don't.